Okay, today is February the 1st, 2011, already in February, 2011. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, opportunity to rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are the all-powerful, almighty God that longs to hear from us. We're so thankful that you hear our prayers, that you instruct us to give us your, our, our issues and our problems. We pray that you will be with Sherry Pennison, that you'll help her to not have any fear or anxiety and with Bob, her husband, that he will faith rest as she goes into surgery, probably in surgery right now. We pray that you'll be with the doctors, that you will guide them and help them to do whatever is necessary for her to recover. We fully realize that you are the great physician, and our prayers all go to her that she'll be able to get back on her feet and that both her and Bob will use the doctrine that they've learned to glorify you and to go through this trial and be able to give you glory through it. And our prayers and best wishes go with them. And we pray that you will help us this evening to concentrate so that your word can have a mighty work in our soul. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may have been uh, hearing the all the falderal that is going on in Egypt. Things continue to percolate worldwide. And <coughs> we had a lot of new news coverage on that this evening. And it's hard to tell exactly what is really going on over there. The news has, for the most part, that I can tell characterize it as people who are desiring freedom and they are doing things, taking steps in order to provide freedom that they don't have. And certainly, we would be well-wishers for anyone who would desire freedom. However, we have to be careful because you'll remember back when the Shah of Iran, which was a dictator... Uh, was not running the show the way that our government thought that he ought to, specifically Jimmy Carter. And so they did all they could to oust the Shah. And what did they get instead? Something much worse. Ayatollah Khomeini. And they took hostages. We were embarrassed before the entire world. Things went, got much worse. And I have a, something from an article from a, uh, another paper that showed, shows that hopefully this won't be the case again. It appears that Mubarak, is, he, he is a dictator, and no doubt he is not someone that we would like to be under. 
However, we have to be careful that those who are trying to overthrow their government at this time isn't going to come up with something worse. You know what just happened recently in the Gaza Strip where they had they voted this isn't voting but uh, they voted and now they have Hamas terrorist organization in control of the government this few paragraphs here from this article says it's the character of the people that may be a bigger problem than the character of the regime they seek to overthrow according to a Pew opinion survey of Egypt of, of the Egyptians from June 10th 59% said that they backed Islamists. Only 27% said they backed modernizers. Half of the Egyptians support Hamas. 30% support Hezbollah. And 20% support Al-Qaeda. Moreover, 95% of them would welcome Islamic influence over their politics. When this preference is translated into actual government policy, it is clear that the Islam they support is the Al-Qaeda version. 82% of Egyptians support executing adulterers by stoning, 77% by whipping and cutting off hands for thieves, 84% support executing any Muslims who change their religion. Did you hear that? When given the opportunity, the crowds on the street are not shy about showing what, motiv what motivates them. The attack Mubarak and his new Vice President Omar Shuleiman as American puppets and Zionist agents. The U.S. protesters told CNN News is controlled by Israel. They hate and want to destroy Israel. That is why they hate Mubarak and Suleiman. You know that um, Mubarak became, or he, he got into power by a coup. Anwar Sadat was murdered. However, Anwar Sadat had already uh, made overtones of a peaceful relationship with Israel and one that is pro-U.S., and Mubarak has that at least to a degree, and the people that's one of the things that the people, of, by this report, says they don't like. What all, this, uh, what all of this makes clear is that, that if the regime falls, the successor regime will not be a liberal democracy. Mubarak's military authoritarianism will be replaced by Islamic totalitarianism. U.S. greatest Arab ally will become its greatest enemy. Israel's peace partner will again become its gravest foe. Understanding this, Israeli officials and commentators have been nearly unanimous in their negative response to what's happening in Egypt. So the, the Jews know that this is not a good thing that's taking place there. The IDF, Israeli Defense Force, the National Security Council, all intelligence agencies, and the government as well as the media have all agreed that Israel's entire regional approach will have to change dramatically in the event that Egypt's regime is overthrown. None of the scenarios under discussion are positive. <coughs> 
I keep saying, if you want to know what's going on in the world, where do you look? You look towards Israel. And this is another negative. Remember, it was only a week or so ago that I told you that there are those within Israel itself who are already ready to throw in the towel and surrender to an Arab state, which is essentially suicide for Israel. So things, as they move and are taking shape in Israel, makes us recognize that Jesus Christ is all the closer. We don't have to wring our hands. However, we do need to stay apprised of these things and take note, be able to read the historical trends and how they relate to the eschatology that we've been studying. And here we are in Second Thessalonians and right on the verge of going to Thessalonians chapter 2. But we're not there yet, so if you'll open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 11. First Thessalonians chapter, Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse eleven. To this end also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. <clears throat> Excuse me. In order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already dissected verse 11 to a degree. We have the Apostle Paul praying. He does it four times in this, in, in, uh, this epistle. That you always, <coughs> that our God may count you worthy of your calling. And we looked at the, the calling in detail and what it, what it takes to be worthy of your calling. And then, and of the work of faith. Well, I don't think we got to all that, but um, we're going to start this evening. I'll put it up on the board for you. And every desire for goodness. Again, verse 11. To this end we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. And so we're picking it up with the uh, fulfill every desire for goodness. The word goodness here is eudokia, E-U-D-O-K-I-A. It's a noun, accusative singular feminine. It's a compound noun. You have E-U meaning good and dokia, or excuse me, dokeo, which means thinking. So it means actually good thinking, our goodwill, our kind intention. Believers should desire to do good. They should look for opportunities to help others. The opposite would be to excuse yourself because you're too busy being absorbed with yourself. Uh, that seems to be the 
attitude of most people today. We live in a very fast-paced society. It seems like time goes by so fast. There's so many things to do. And a lot of people are just trying to stay afloat themselves and they don't have time to think about anyone else. But according to this, we should have goodwill and kind intentions to others. That means that we should think of others and not only ourselves. We should look for opportunities to help others. This is part of the Christian executing the will of God. It's not just how much doctrine you know. It's not how many verses that you can cite. It's not how well you have mastered systematic theology. It's not how well that you can argue, argue your case with regards to doctrine. I'm not saying that any of that is, that, that, that those things are not important. What I am saying is that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you don't have love, if you don't have kind intentions towards others, if you don't give a hoot about other people except yourself, you can have reams of doctrinal notes. You can be able to cite all these, do all of these things, but if you don't care for other people enough to extend yourself, have some self-sacrifice on their behalf, then you're missing the boat. Kind intentions towards others. The other side of that coin are people who have just the opposite. They don't ever think of anyone else with kind intentions. They, they look at other people as to what can I do to benefit from this person. They are takers. They are not givers. They, will, they are users. And those people certainly do not have this desire, this good thinking. I think this might be an occupational hazard of some doctrinal churches, and I hope it's not true of this one, that we are blessed exceedingly because of God's Word. And when it is exegeted properly and it goes into the soul and starts to change thinking, to line up with Christ's thinking, that's a good thing. But we can't ever miss the fact that it's not just the knowledge of theological concepts and being articulate and able to express those to others, even going out and witnessing to others. We have to have kind intentions, want to do good to other people. And that is part of Christ being manifested in us so that we are able to reflect His glory. If we don't do that, we wind up being hearers rather than doers of the Word of God. So there's much more to this than just a phrase that happens to have a word in it. Uh, in English, it's desire, but in the Greek, this eudokia. Uh, Good thinking. Look for opportunities to help people. How many times have you had good intentions but actually didn't follow through with them? I'm guilty of that. I think all of us are guilty of having a kind intention. Remember I've told you before, any time that you see something that is attractive in another person, 
whether it's a new coat, whether it's a, a, a thoughtfulness that you have seen on their part, maybe a kindness, maybe a consideration of other people, maybe a job well done, whatever it is, when that thought comes into your soul and you don't express it, you've missed an opportunity. There's enough criticism going around in this world. There's enough bad news going around for someone just to even say a word sometimes, a word of encouragement. goes a long way. And we have people in need. Now, my spiritual gift is pastor-teacher, and I don't have time to go and do all the things that are necessary to help people who are in need at this church. And we have plenty of them. So it is the body that needs to use their spiritual gifts in order to reach out and see what needs to be done and take care of it. I've been to a lot of hospitals. It's not that I, I, I'm adverse going to hospitals and seeing people that need, uh, need care. But my primary job is to prepare the believers at Country Bible Church to handle these exigencies themselves that I don't have to go and hold their hand, that they have the doctrine already to meet the crisis. But there's always a host of details that need, need to be taken care of. When you have people who are in the hospital, people who are in a crisis situation, just because that happens doesn't mean that the grass no longer grows. They still need to cut the grass. The animals still need to be fed. Things still need to, take, need to be uh, taken care of. And the eyes of unbelievers and the world are watching you very carefully. And if you can cite all the doctrines in the world, but you don't have a caring heart and you don't have this good intentions of kindness towards others, don't expect them to listen to anything you say as far as doctrine is concerned because they can't get past the fact that you had an opportunity to help and you didn't do it. That makes you look like a hypocrite and everything that you would say to them doctrinally rings hollow. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus Christ, I have that in brackets because it's not in the verse, however, that is the context. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds. Zealous. You know, I, I didn't look this word up. Uh, Vidal, you have your laptop there, don't you? You might look that up, Titus 2.14 in the Greek, and see if that's spudazo, where, for the word zealous there. Our old friend. How many people are zealous for a good salary? Above good deeds these days. Zelotes, okay. Well, that's where we get the word zealous there. Zelotes. Zealous for good deeds. Titus 3.8. I, I left the T off there. It should be, this is a trustworthy saying. Now, I want you... Want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful 
to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. It's profitable for the person who receives the benefit of what is done good to them, but it also is good for the one that's doing the good. If I thought that there was a problem in this church for where people aren't really taking the lead and taking the responsibility to do good things and help fellow members, I would be on a tirade right now. But you notice I'm not. And that's because for the most part, from my perspective, we have people who are on the beam. They are looking out, trying to do things for others. But it's just like Paul uh, said to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians, what you've been doing, you've been doing good. And he exhorted them to keep on doing it, but he said, but even do it more so. And so that's what I'm telling you. You've been doing a good job. Now I exhort you to keep on doing it, only even more so. We don't have that much time left. None of us do. And this is important to God. You know, sometimes because we emphasize with regards to eternal salvation that works have nothing whatsoever to do with eternal salvation. And we don't back away from that a centimeter. That is true. But sometimes we have to be careful to where some might take it as, oh, well, we don't have to do anything. Quite the contrary. We should be zealous to good works. And they are profitable for everyone. Now let's look at the word goodness here. And fulfill every desire. We just went over the word desire. Now we're going to look at goodness. Goodness is the Greek word agathosune. A-G-A-T-H-O-S-U-N-E. And it's a noun, genitive, singular, feminine. It means active goodness, benevolent, having a good disposition or temperament or mood. This goodness is manifested as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5.22. Have you ever come in contact with believers who just have a sour disposition? They just, I'm not talking, I don't mean that they're mean people. They just don't seem happy. They may be in a job, in a rut, somewhere that they really rather not be, and they let everybody know it. You let everybody know, well, how are you doing today? Well, <laughs> what do you expect? That type of attitude. That is contrary to the goodness that this is talking about. doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you're in a go-nowhere job that you really detest, but you are making money to hold things together, then you should be thankful to the Lord for it. It's a test. Are you going to base your happiness on having a good job? Or are you going to base your happiness on the fact that you have a job and the, and the Lord is providing? It helps us to understand that the opposite meaning of this goodness would be to go around with a chip on your shoulder, being in a bad mood and thinking only of self.
I saw a movie last night. Carrie and I saw a movie. I'm thinking about maybe putting it in the church. It's called The Last Song. It has Miley Cyrus in it. And she goes and visits her father for the summer. And she has an attitude, a horrible attitude. And it depicts what I just said, a bad mood, chip on the shoulder, thinking only of self, insulting to everyone. No one can get close to her because all she did was cut them down. She thought that was cool. And through the movie, actually didn't say anything about God in the movie, but I saw what was happening. And, of course, this was fiction, but if it was real, I, I could see what God was doing. He started changing circumstances for her to get in touch with reality so that she would understand that she is not the center of the universe. And the father that she demeaned and insulted and disobeyed wind up dying of cancer. And that was a reality check for her and a wake-up call. I don't want to tell you the whole thing because if I show it to you in the movie, I don't want you to know it, but... There are you, you maybe know people like that. And I think that teenagers have a propensity towards this more than anybody else. It's cool for teenagers to be abrupt, disrespectful, and haughty. This makes them somehow appear as if they are superior with their peers. And all it means is just the opposite, is they are immature and they have a lot to learn. And I'm so thankful of the job that most of the people in this church are doing with their teenagers. Most of them are very respectful. And when they're not, I'll let them know. And you need to let them know. But when they are, you need to let them know that too. Maybe it's because so many of them are homeschooled. But this is the, you don't go around with a chip on your shoulder. How can you witness to someone? How can you be of any, any impact on someone for good if you go around with this ill attitude all the time? Why would anyone want to be a Christian if they're going to be like you? The people that you come in contact with, would they want to be like you? I'm not talking about personal habits. I'm talking about your attitude. I've seen people at this church. I've been to people's houses whose spouses were dying. And they had one of the hardest jobs in the world to uh, clean up the vomit and make dishes that they wouldn't even eat because they couldn't hold it down and come in with a smile on their face, full of joy. That's the attitude that impacts people. And they want what you've got when you have that. It's so easy to complain. But I don't, I don't know of a verse in the Bible where God commands us, much less even condones complaining. When was the last time you complained? When was the last time I complained? You can ask the lady sit in the back. <laughs> She'll tell you. <laughs> we'll just move on. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you hear that? 
which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. All of us are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the King of kings and Lord of lords, even on earth at this time. And it's beginner stuff here compared to what it's going to be, but we need to remember that. Created for good works. That's all Christ did. Went around healing, casting out demons. Wouldn't it be great if the Bible just gave his whole childhood? Can you imagine all the good things that he did and how he was tested every minute of every day beyond anything that any of us could imagine? And yet without sin, never screwed up one time ever. Matthew 5.16 Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, good works glorify your Father who is in heaven. I've had opportunity before going down the highway, seeing somebody pull over the side with their hood up, pull over there and say, you need any help? Or I'd see a person, this happened not long ago at uh, Judd's, and the person was trying to start his car, he couldn't do it. And I went over there, would you like a jump? Do you like some jumper cables? And then you jump their car and they get started. Oh, thank you so much. How much do I owe you? If any of you ever charge in a situation like that, all I can say is shame on you. You had a great opportunity to be an example of Jesus Christ and doing something good, and you're going to trade that in for $10, $15? If they gave you $100,000, it wouldn't be worth it. That would be forgotten. I take it for granted that I'm talking to everyone who wouldn't even consider doing such a dastardly thing. That they may see your good works. See it. You know what, you know what that means? To see a good work? It means you've got to do something. You can pray for people. That's great. We all need to do that. We just got into that. Paul prayed four times for these Thessalonians, this one epistle. And that's great, but most people don't see that. Seeing something means you have to exert yourself to do something for somebody sometime. What if nobody knows about it? What if they don't thank you? Are you doing it for that? No, we're doing it because we're representative of Jesus Christ. And look at that. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. For someone to say that good works done with the right motivation under the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't glorify God, doesn't know the Bible, do they? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I could give a lot of accounts of good deeds that people's done, people sitting right here in this audience, but I won't say it because it's it's private matter. But I'm very proud of a lot of you. And a lot of you probably have done things I don't even know the good deeds. But this exhorts all of us. Look for opportunities to do good deeds. Colossians 1.10 
so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Remember we were talking, that's one of the things, that you will be worthy. To please Him in all respects, look at this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I think that if you're really increasing in the knowledge of God, that somewhat of an axiom of that is doing good works. I don't know how someone can be growing in grace and knowledge and say, nope, nope, not me. I'm too busy studying. I'm too busy going to Bible class. I've got things to do. Don't give me your problems. If that's the case, you're not really growing, are you? It's one and the same. 1 Timothy 6.18 Instruct them that would be those who are rich, which is uh, the context here, to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Unfortunately, most people who are wealthy have an attitude of, it's mine, it's not yours, and I have mine, I don't care about you getting yours, or what you have or what you don't have. But there are notable exceptions. So you don't want to scrutinize anyone just because you think they're wealthy and uh, therefore they're snobs. Didn't have anything to do with that. But even the rich who are rich in wealth need to be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. 2 Corinthians 3.18 through 4.1. I don't think this is all there. Maybe it is. Uh, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. You hear that? What we're seeing in these verses, and we're going to see it even more, this whole thing has to do with what? Reflecting God's glory. We can't come up with glory ourselves, but through the grace that God gives us, we can reflect His glory. And so, and we with unveiled faces, and I could go into about Moses when he came back from Mount Sinai and he had the veil, his whole countenance changed, but we'll just go with this verse, uh, the the cursory part here. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you're going to be transformed into His likeness, one of the things that you're going to be doing is what? Looking for opportunities to help and do good to others. When someone calls you on the phone and they need help, what is your attitude? When you, when you know maybe a widow or someone who is, is, needs help and you have an idea on your phone and you see that and you, you see it's them, do you think in your own soul, oh, no, not them again. I wonder what they need now. Is that your attitude? I hope not. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Y'all ought to know this one. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, we don't usually say it that way. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means theonoustos. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be 
thoroughly furnished unto what? All good works. Yes, Michael. Yeah. I've got that just a little bit down my notes. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got uh, it's 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 another one a little bit further down, but that's a good one. I mean, the reason I'm giving you all these verses is because usually we don't go towards good works that many that much because. We're Bible church, and we focus on no works for salvation, and that's true. But we don't want to miss the point that it's very important to God that we do good works. We look for opportunities, and we do it with the right motivation, the right attitude. Very important. This is a clear distinction between justification by faith alone and sanctification by works of faith. You got that? Muy importante right there. That's saying it. Justification and sanctification are two separate things. Now, I know sometimes we talk about positional sanctification. But in the general jargon of theologians, justification is what, is what happens at a point of time with regards to eternal salvation. Justification is what happens after that. I mean, excuse me, sanctification. Works of faith. We'll get to that. Justification is a free gift to be received freely by faith alone, while sanctification is a prize to be won by faithful living. Though sanctification should follow justification, as God has made ample provision, such is not the case for every individual believer... Many choose to live for the passing pleasures of this age and thereby fail to grow to maturity. In such cases, the believer, though eternally secure, fails to obtain those rewards which could be his. If I had to pick one thing that people, most believers have missed the mark, it's they don't know what to do after they're saved. And that's because most of the time it's because they're spiritually ignorant. And they fall into thinking, I'm good, I'm, I'm a moral person, therefore I must be a spiritual giant. And they are spiritual babies. They know nothing about the spiritual life. And the good that they do isn't going to be held as far as rewards are concerned because it's all do done with the attitude of trying to impress God. We don't do good works to impress God so that He will bless us. He blesses us whether we do good works or not, doesn't He? We call it logistical grace. But when you do good works because you... What we see is God put that should put that in you. It's one of the spiritual gifts. If you're growing in grace and, this, and you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's one of the things is goodness doesn't mean just being a good person. It means being good to other people. By the way, that was a quote from the Journal of Grace, Evangelical Society, Volume 1, 
And then uh, other miscellaneous things there. Okay, here, this is what we're getting to now. This is what I like. We don't have much time left. Work of faith. Does that seem like an oxymoron to you? Huh? <laughs> to our minds, you have work on this side and you have faith over here. And that's true with regards to salvation. So now when it's talking about work of faith, we go, we come to a skidding halt. What? Work of faith? What does that tell you right off the bat? It's not salvific, is it? He's not talking about anything that has to do with salvation or else there is, there is no work of faith. So work of faith has absolutely... Look at this. <laughs> has nothing to do with eternal salvation, which is the gift of God freely received through faith in Jesus Christ. However, work of faith in this verse relates to sanctification, not justification. See... When you believe in Jesus Christ, the judicial sentence against you is gone. That's expiation. It's gone. It's a judicial case. It's impossible for you to be condemned judicially, according to Romans 8.1. But we're not talking about the judicial here. We're talking about the sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart. All believers are hagios, they're all saints, but not all saints are hagoesune. They're not all sanctified. They are positionally, but not experientially. But I like this part. Look at this. The work of faith with power. What does that say? Whose power? Well, you know, God's power, of course. You know that. How many believers are out there, though, working... They're hustling. Somebody in this group told me not long ago that they would take this work of faith with power and make it salvific. And it was on the radio and someone said, I have to work hard every day in order to stay safe. Isn't that what they said? And they weren't talking about sanctification. They were talking about justification. That's the big mistake that most people make because they don't know they're not grace-oriented. So the power that we do this with is not our own. Nobody can take this message and go out and say, I'm inspired now. I'm going to gut it out. Boy, I'm going to go to my neighbor and I'm going to see if he needs his, his leaves raked. I'm going to see if that old bachelor, that old crotchety guy down the road, see if, he can, if I can bake him, a, bake him a pie. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. That's not it. You can do it, and he might appreciate it, but it's worthless. It's on God's power that does this. So then, my beloved, this is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have already obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, look at this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, I like this, listen to this, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work out work for his good pleasure. You know what that means? We are so depraved. We are so selfish and contaminated with our old sin nature. That is our nature to think about nothing but self. That God is the one that puts the will in us to do this. Because we don't come up with it ourselves. Uh, we might be a hypocrite. There's people out there doing all kind of good deeds for other people, but it's, they've got an agenda. 
They've got a reason. They want to, maybe they're running for office. Maybe they're trying to hook some good-looking male or female. Um, who knows what it may be. But look at this. In fact, turn to this. I want you to turn to this in your Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Now, I've never taught Philippians, the whole book. But I want you to go to this verse, 13. Oh, no, verse 12 first. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Underline that phrase, circle salvation. And what do you think I would have you put in the margin? Hmm? In capital letters, not salvific. You all know what salvific means, right? Not salvific. It has nothing to do with eternal salvation. But see, aren't you glad that you understand this, that you don't have to work out your eternal salvation with fear and trembling? Do you know what people go to this verse? The guy that was on the radio said, I have to work hard every day to maintain my salvation. And he does it with fear and trembling. I would too. If I was a Jehovah Witness, I would, I'd just probably have to see a shrink. I mean, I'd be so afraid that I wasn't going to do it. And if I was a Catholic, I, I've asked him before, well, you've got to confess your sins. And or if, I said, what happens if you don't confess your sins? Well, you're going to hell. I said, well, and that has to be to a priest? Yeah. I said, well, what if I sinned and I'm on my way to the, to the church and I'm going to the confessional and I have a heart, heart attack five feet before I get there and I fall and die and I'm going to be dead? I mean, I'm going to hell because I didn't make it that last five feet and tell the priest that I've sinned? Aren't you glad that you don't have that? And people, people say, oh, well, that's ridiculous. Well, why is it ridiculous? If you have to acknowledge your sin to a priest, and if you don't, you, well, you know, they have such a bad deal. I don't know how they keep all those people anyway. I mean, they can't tell anybody they're going to go to heaven anyhow. They've got to go to purgatory. And they've got to roast there for a while so they can be purified to be good enough to go into heaven eventually because Christ just didn't quite cut it on the cross. And there's one little caveat to that. You can shorten that time if Uncle George over here just you know, gives a couple of grand to the church. We'll, we'll pray and shorten your time in purgatory. <laughs> and, and people believe that. Boy, you talk about a money-making machine... I mean, you might really love, let's say Uncle George loses a nephew and he's crazy about that nephew. Well, he wouldn't hesitate to put out two or three grand to shorten his time in purgatory, which is about as real as Never Never Land. There is no such thing. It's not in the Bible. I was, I was teaching the kids this, this just the other day. Listen, kids are already dealing with this. Do you know that? I didn't make this up. Children and teenagers in this church right now are dealing with Catholics who claim that when you die, you go to purgatory. And so I'm dealing with it when I, deal, when I, when I teach. I'm showing them how to, how to deal with it. It's nowhere in the Bible. You, you, and the only way, even in the Apocrypha, it's alluded to. 1 Corinthians chapter... Uh, 15, 
you know, where you're going to have gold, silver, and precious stones and uh, you'll be saved yet as through fire? That's their substantiation for their being a purgatory. And I, I say, anybody that has that mindset has a bigger problem than just roasting in purgatory for a while. It's very possible they're not saved. Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ took care of the whole sin issue, you really don't know what the gospel is. So we don't have to work and be fear and trembling of going to heaven. But there is something to fear and tremble about. And this is talking about being delivered here. Being delivered from what? How about a, a wasted life? If you don't have doctrine, first of all, if you're not a believer, second of all, if you don't have doctrine, you might be walking along, walking around, and your heart might be, be beating, but you're as dead as a doornail. Even if you're a believer, you're just marking time. And you won't be able to, to handle the... Issues that are certainly going to come into your life. You, you draw a blank. You don't have any doctrine. You have no power. And so you're going to be a failure. You can make bad decisions. And then while you're stewing in that broth, God is going to turn up the heat with divine discipline. And most people just get bitter. This isn't fair. Why does this have to happen to me? And they get deeper into it, and finally God might just take them out, send them to death. They go out kicking and screaming and clawing. And what awaits them? The judgment seat of Christ, where they're going to be utterly ashamed. And then there'll be a peon in heaven for all eternity. I know. Well, they'll be in heaven. Give me a break. People need to wake up. Why do they think that God leaves them on this earth after they're saved? I used to be a member of West End Baptist Church. My dad was a deacon. And every time those church doors were open, we were there. And they had an evangelist come in one time by the name of uh, Angel Martinez. And he gave one of the best scenarios that I've ever heard with regards to when you're saved, it's a done deal. He had people, they had altar calls and they would come down here. And he said, you know, if Jesus Christ did not take care of your sin problem and you walk down here and you have a confession of faith and you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, he said, if you don't have eternal security, the best thing that I could do for you is have a 45 under here and pull it out and blow your brains out. That way you know for sure that you're going to heaven. Outside of that, it's a crapshoot. I don't remember if he said that last part. I think I threw that in. <laughs> That's what I would have said. <laughs> so you don't have to work for your salvation. That's the message. Listen, if I was a Catholic, if I was a Jehovah Witness, if I was Church of Christ, if I was all these type of people... I'd be nervous as a cat. I mean, every time I heard a, a backfire, you know, I would just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I mean, let's see. I'd, I'd probably carry around a ledger. Let's keep notes here. What's my good deeds here? What did I send today? What's going on here? Well, I wouldn't do it. I don't even do it. I don't keep lists anyway. I'm too smart for that. I keep it all up here. <laughs> but I would be doing a reckoning, a tablet. 
I would be keeping track the whole time to see what, how did I do today? I used to do that when I was a little boy, by the way, but it wasn't about going to hell. It was, was I going to get caught? I, how long was it since I had my last weapon? Doing pretty good. And then I think, did, did they find out about this yet? Do they know about this? And over here, well, I did these good things over here. And it, it just tires you out. I didn't write them down. <laughs> uh, both to will and to work his good ple- pleasure. So what this is saying is our God is so great and we are so wormy. I mean, there's, there's nothing good in us that he puts, not only does he give us the power to do these things by the enabling of the Holy Spirit to carry it out, give us opportunity, but even to will to do it. You know what that means? If you actually have a thought of goodwill to someone else, and it's not about yourself, you can't brag about it, not to other people or not to God, because according to this verse, where did it come from? God put that in you. And you're not doing it in order to get brownie points. Can we get brownie points with God? Hmm? What is our one word links us to the plan of God? Grace. All across the board. We can't brag about anything unless you want to brag about God. Now that's fine. Uh oh. Uh, we'll just have a couple more verses here quick. John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Zilch. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you go out there and just impress everybody. Oh, that's such a good person. Isn't he a good guy? Isn't she wonderful? What is, what is she spiritually? If she didn't know how to rebound, all she's doing is making a big bonfire in the future. She's gathering material for a big bonfire. Philippians 4, 13. Here's the other side of that. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What can you do without Him? Nothing. What can you do with Him? Anything. You can face an emergency surgery. You can be a a spouse sitting out in the waiting room not knowing what is going to happen. You can do anything, not even worry. Just trust and wait. I certainly don't have the power to do that on my own, do you? We're going to continue this next time. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for what a wonderful God we have. You want to do the heavy lifting for us. We pray that you'll give us the good sense to trust you to do it. And that we'll look for opportunities to do good to other people. That you will put that will for us to do it in us. Not that we can impress people or even impress you. This is pleasing in your sight and we want to please you. And it's a way that we can reflect the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we pray that you will help us to do that. Not just today or tomorrow or the next day, but every day. That we won't be living for self, but we'll be living for you. And that will affect others in a wonderful way. We thank you for your plan and the power to carry it out. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.